Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lira podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, essentially any single frame illustrations where the characters use bubbles to talk or think. I'm your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my effusive host, it's Jamie. Effusive. Were you waiting for the word this time? Yeah, absolutely. It's now, but I've set expectations that it's going to be like too good every time now. I like effusive. Effusive was an interesting one. Um, I've got a new avenue of words to go by, like right. to, as a core word to search and then go on the thesaurus and get all the other ones from. So we're in for a good time. What's with... the new search term that you're using? The ter- search term we're using right now is talkative. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. I, I, I dare not use it. Like, I fear the day when I use a word and you're like, where did you get that one from? And, <laughs> I'll, and I'll say, what do you mean? Like, that's not what you think of me, is it? <laughs> I had this the other day when my friends were doing a um, crossword. Mm. And they'd used abject to mean something it didn't mean. And I was like, I'm really sorry, lads, but the bottom right hand corner of your crossword's all wrong. And they were like, why? <laughs> and I was like, abject doesn't mean none of, it means the most of. <laughs> I was going to say, because I would think of this abject failure. So, or abject horror. Yeah, but that's not used as like, oh, good. So you thought it was fine. Like, no, abject failure means the worst bad the worst case scenario but the most possible failure yes. not the least possible failure. exactly yeah. and they used it completely the wrong way around and they just looked at me and i was like i'm sorry guys i'm this... really sorry but your crossword's wrong you've shattered our entire <laughs> world the way i uh, we going back to like um perception of people i used to work in an office where um there was a guy who was going to another office that i'd been to and he was like oh you've been to this office like what is it like and i was like uh, this was on finance and everything so it's like oh i tell you what it's all finance lads and bros and like out for, <laughs> out for drinks at lunchtime yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that pub afterwards boys 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 like you'll fit right in and he literally looked at me with the most solemn look and went is that what you think of me <laughs> like, are we not supposed to <laughs> is that not who you've been since i've known you so be I, I careful s- when you do that kind of thing i saw a really fun tiktok the other day that was about lads with degrees and so like <laughs> We're the most laddie nerds, and we're not quite nerds, or they aren't quite nerds, but they're also not proper lads because they went to uni, and they're just kind of yeah, they're lads with degrees. They wear vintage English England shirts, and I mean, you went from lad to I wouldn't even say lad with a degree. You came up as, as the embodiment of a literature degree. Do you think? I mean, you physically like you, you couldn't be picked out of a lineup when you first came back. Yeah, I got into tweed, didn't I? In a really big way. Tweed and the beard and long yeah. hair. And so that was like, that was a very, that was a very much a finding yourself uh, point of life, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Great fun times. So we do not have any news this week, which is always good news because it means no one died. So that's Nobody's always dead. a plus. Yeah. So we're going to rock straight into our corners. I don't think I've only got any other topics or anything to bring up. Um Nah, no topic. So straight into our corners. Uh, I've been going first couple far, blah, 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 past couple ones. So do you want to take the reins on Jamie's uh, comic books with much more words than pictures? In fact, all words and no pictures. Corner. It's really unfortunate that I've not been reading. Well, I've been reading, but Ooh. I'm still reading Harry's autobiography because I spent a good week and a half, two weeks leading up to the last recording, mm. exclusively reading Norse mythology books. Right. Um, and so I have not been doing a lot of personal reading recently, so I'm still reading Spare. It's still very good. It's quite well written. I do appreciate the fact that my things for my corner normally take about an hour and a half to two hours you know, max, and your books obviously take like a book's length of time <laughs> like a week yeah whatever that is i mean who knows how long a book takes nowadays really i mean 
can I get it in TikTok form? Like, <laughs> can I get it delivered to me in an Instagram? Recently, I found myself watching nearly an entire film in clips on TikTok. Wow. What film? Do you know what the worst thing is? The, the I was, film? Because I was watching it in TikTok, so I'm not 100% sure. That's got to be the worst way to consume media it's, when you don't even know what it is. Or it was, it, no, it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, that's fair. But I was but I was watching disjointed like 20 to 30 second clips. And so an entire film that had been reconstructed and abridged from small clips and then re-uploaded to TikTok, it was a weird experience, Ryan. I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, it sounds like you put yourself through an experimental viewing phase for the benefit of the listener, because then you can regurgitate your experience and how it was. I would call it a doom scroll, is what (laughs) happened. I mean, One Flew of the Cocos Nest is not like the most upbeat film. (laughs) So you could catch one clip, it's like, this looks a fun time, and then you catch that clip near the end, it's like, I want to die. The one experience I have been enjoying is where they will take the footage from a film, rip the sound off of it, they just give you the footage and then get an AI to narrate it. Mm. That's weirdly appealing to me. That sounds like dystopian future kind of style. That's like, exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't enjoy it as a viewing experience. I enjoy it as a cultural phenomenon. And again, it's not something that I would um, recommend. But if you happen to have TikTok and it comes up on your algorithm, give it a minute because it's an interesting experience. I feel like stuff like that fills me with more dread than like actual horror films. Like I can watch like gore or psychological horror or, you know, like any anything like that. And I did get a bit of dread, but that's like why I'm there. So like a roller coaster, I'm here for the ride. That kind of stuff fills me with like a where's humanity going in a weird feeling. What's happening with AI at the moment? genuinely makes me want to get rid of my phone, take out a bunch of books about arable farming from the library, sell up and go and buy a plot of land in the middle of nowhere and go off grid. Do you think it's uh, do you think it's going to be a sudden skynet issue or do you think it's more going to be like a slow grind of like well there's no jobs anymore cuz AI's doing them all so get out. I think within the next 10 years um anybody who has a job that involves driving will mm. no longer be employable. But then there's still going to be an audience or a market for non-AI driven because there's always going to be news stories about AI car drove me into a wall or whatever. The thing is, AI vehicles, autos, don't need to be perfect. They just need to have a lower failure rate than we do and they already do. Yes, but the perception people think of themselves and by extension their race as humans... um, to be less fallible than machines. So if you ask any person, say, who do you think is a better driver, AI or you? I think most people would say them. So then by extension, they'll be like, well, humans are probably going to be better. They'll trust humans more than they trust AI. I think that is going to dissipate very quickly. You think? Yeah, I think reliance on AI is going to happen incredibly quickly. Now the AIs are as good as they are. After ChatGBT came out, and everybody started showing off those AI paintings that they were downloading and making them their profile picture. The thing, the thing with AI is we are all unknowingly feeding the beast because we're, in, we're, we're interfacing with them in a lot of ways that we don't understand. So every time you run a query past ChatGBT or you have, what's its, what's its name? The other one that does the painting. You get it to do a painting for you. You're giving it more data that it can draw upon and you're making the next answer more accurate. 
and we have been complicit in the testing of AI for the past five, ten years. You know when you do the capture codes on Google? Mm, yeah. Do you remember uh, initially they were pitching it as a security feature, testing that you're not a robot is what it said it was yeah. doing. And it was giving you um, jumbled letters to decipher. Yeah. That was you teaching it language. And then when driverless cars, when they were researching driverless cars, it started asking you to discern between different things on the road, wasn't it? Like traffic lights and road markings and cars and vans. That was us teaching the AI how to drive. We have been involved in the AI experiment as end users of digital products since they started developing them. And so the more people that start to use these AI tools that are being put online for free, the better the bots are becoming. They're, they are coming. Like the, bot, the bots, we've been, talk, we've been having a wider cultural conversation about artificial intelligence since about the 50s, but they are here and they are getting better. And it concerns me. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, it should concern everyone. On the other hand, this is a depressing avenue to go down on a podcast, and there's probably you and want me I to shut up about AI. I'm not necessarily shut, up, but like I don't think I can banter us out of it. You know what I mean? Like not with any meaningful way of like, and everything's fine. So what I will ask the listener is, um, whatever depression you might be experiencing or dread or anxiety from what James just said, that is um, valid response. Uh, but if you could shove that down for the next uh, hour and a half ish. Um, laugh along with us, have a you know, have a good time, and then as soon as the podcast's done, return to your existential dread. Uh, if you could do that for us, I mean, we're talking about copyright law today, Ryan. So I mean, <laughs> it's an aspect. It's an aspect. <laughs> but but Skynet's not going to be for another like ten-ish years or so. So you got plenty of time before then. Achieve your dreams now while you still can. Absolutely, while there's still dreams. And to I achieve. mean that in absolutely the most dreadful, <laughs> the most. <laughs> fear-inducing way possible you can take any kind of like fridge magnet um motivational like achieve your dreams while you can if you just say a different inflection and then Mm. it just sounds like achieve them while you can like it sounds like the tagline for horror live laugh love yes um what's the other one says uh it's always wine o'clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite motivational. <laughs> Bless this mess. <laughs> that's, that's more motivation, I suppose, for alcoholics, I guess, technically. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes they need a... <laughs> they need a little pick-me-up. Uh, yeah, exa- oh, they get a little, probably a lot of pick-me-ups. Uh, anyway. Um, Alcoholism is fun. I mean, it's, uh, it's a fun ride. It's like um, skiing. It's like losing control skiing downhill. It's going to yeah. be... A, it's going to end horribly... But you're probably gonna have a bit of fun on the way down. Yeah, the yeah. descent, the descent into alcoholism, I imagine, is quite enjoyable. I mean, there's a lot to. I'm from your side. The literature people have probably written about that. Um, what's the big one? Um, the American guy, Bukowski, B- something. Bawai? Charles Bukowski is that the name? Or yeah, he right? was. He was an alcoholic. He's one of the great misogynists. Ah, so don't listen to him then. Is what oh, we're saying. he was a wonderful poet. He just didn't like women very much. Well, on that note, Hemingway is another great alcoholic from literature. Okay, so there's some good ones. He shot himself. Better than misogynist. <laughs> he was he was a masculinist. Was Hemingway? He right. he liked men and manly pursuits. He liked writing about fishing and hunting and stuff like that. Yeah, he sounds all right. He sounds like the Monday, well, not the Monday, the olden time uh, Ron Swanson. Yeah, yeah. He also he also dabbled in five word stories and wrote a really chilling one. Is it? I think I can guess this one. Is it? Um, 
It's for sale, baby shoes, never used. Yes, I knew that one. It's, oh, it just fills me with misery and dread. I had, a, I had an idea for a one-word horror story. Go on, then. Run. Pretty good. No, yeah, no, it was all right. It was, it was for good. me, it would be shame. I mean, it could be a good regime. Are they good ones? I don't know. I don't like regime. Well, who does? Um, <laughs> we're going to skip merrily over to my corner, which I think is going to be slightly less depressing. Um, is, is it more horror films? Kind of, technically. <laughs> You'll actually like this one. I, when I watched this thing, and when it turned out to be okay, I was like, Jamie will get a kick out of this. There's a film on Netflix. The film's called The Pale Blue Eye, I think okay. it is. Yeah. It stars Christian Bale yeah. and a guy whose name I can never remember, but he's the kid. He was the kid who played um, the Dursley kid from Harry Potter. You know, the fat Yeah, yeah I know exactly what you mean, yeah. He is a, now a fantastic actor. Is it? Well, he was but pretty good back then. Well, he's lost a shitload of weight, so he's skinny as hell. Which makes you a better actor. Well, not only that, but, he, but he's weird looking. So he's a great character actor. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's a weird looking dude, which means that people are like, well, he's He's gotta be good. He's gotta be a good actor. I mean, like if he's here with the bloody he's next to Christian Bale. He's like, here with the good looking people. Exactly. He must be an amazing actor. That's how Hollywood works. I'm yeah. not being a I would if I broke into Hollywood, I would be the weird looking character actor. If I could act at all. Like that would be mm. my lane. You would be Brian Blessed. Gordon exactly. <laughs> exactly. There was a split second there. I was like, is he about to be offended? <laughs> I was I thought I was gonna get another, is that how you see? <laughs> I, when I first graduated uni, I worked in a warehouse throwing boxes around and you would just hear across this very like, I mean, I, I wasn't a very, I didn't present as a working class person back then, but I am still I mean, neither of us sound it. Yeah. Financially, we are at the bottom of working <laughs> class, but yeah, neither, we don't sound it. Yeah, but I, I certainly didn't present as working class then. I had all the, all of these churlish affectations, um, but across this warehouse, you just hear, Oi, blessed, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> While I was like hung over trying to avoid throwing these parcels about. They all called me blessed. God forbid you look like anything in, any, <laughs> in that kind of working class environment because that's just going to be your name from then on. I worked in a prison for a while and all of the officers and the, and the lags would call me um, Rag and Bone Man. That's a good one. And that's again, more accurate, I'd say. Yeah, but again, I'd be walking across the yard in this prison, like the exercise yard, and you'd just hear, Oi, Gav! You look right like that rag and bone man. Can you sing? I'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. I also taught guitar in the library. Hmm. And so it'd be like, oh, rag and bone man with his guitar. In, Awful. In America, now that he's lost the weight, I think Action Bronson would be your, your doppelganger now. I look more like Action Bronson than Action Bronson does since he lost the weight and cut his beard off. The, if, he, if he lost the weight but kept the beard, I think you two would be spot on. Because he was, was the, a big boy, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was, he was morbidly obese. And now he's bloody pro wrestler, so yeah. he's doing all pro wrestling stuff, which is great. Somebody once described me as looking like Action Bronson, but acting like Matty Matheson. Who's Matty Matheson? <laughs> the, the, the chef. He's, a, he's, he's another big dude. He has a mustache and a lot I of tattoos. I think I know who you mean, yeah. He's, he does like shows and stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I was going to say, you know, the like nickname, work nicknames. Yeah. Uh, there's a subreddit about, um, like British subreddit about yeah. like the most elaborate nicknames that stuck for life. And the best one I read was someone was, someone was nicknamed was Black Betty because their real name was Dan Balam. <laughs> <laughs> Can't make that up. I think that, that I, yeah, I think I read a similar thread and there was a guy whose name was Tony 
but he was really short, and so somebody called him a Shetland Tony. No. <laughs> and that stuck with him for his entire life. There was another one, which was um, a guy who was a police officer, uh, but also a bit short, so his nickname was Laptop because he was a small PC. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, there's some good ones. Um, uh, so, the film. The, yes. Um, weird looking actor guy. I yeah. can't remember his name, uh, but he played, he was in Harry Potter. Brilliant actor now. So the plot of the film is, it's um, it's set place in, oh, gosh, uh, the 19th century, probably midway. So like okay. newly started America kind of era. Um, the uh, Christian Bale is a uh, detective or a uh uh sheriff or something like that but he's a mm. guy who gets brought in because there's been a murder suicide they don't know what it is kind of thing there's been a murder yes exactly yeah um but the what makes interesting is not only is he kind of do solving a murder without any you know back in olden times pre-csi pre all that bollocks but the added wrinkle is what makes it interesting is the character that the weird looking guy plays i really need to find out his name so i keep calling a weird looking guy he might take it personally he's not listening he, we don't know. He might, you know, he might be in, well into this. If you, if if we have even a single listener by this point, can somebody it's tweet this episode go, at him? Probably the famous guy. Yeah. Can somebody tweet this episode at him, and then he can reply with his name? Because we're not looking it up. You know what's going to happen is, uh, like in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to like there's going to be a knock on my door, and I'm going to open it. It's going to be Christian Bell. He's going to be like, I "Heard you said yeah, I was weird looking." Like, <laughs> no, not you. The other one. <laughs> no, you were weird looking in the Machinist, right? Well, Different yeah, that film. Was, yeah, that was him trying to. That was his intent to. Uh, <laughs> So the added wrinkle is the guy Christian Bale's character is brought in uh, is he's solving a murder at a kind of boarding school for for training soldiers. So like people going into the army, army kind of cadets. They they're boarding right. and living there. And the point is they're being trained to then be like generals and higher up in the army once they pass all this training. Like Santos kind of jobby. Sure, I don't know what that means, but yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly um, that. James. Exactly. Well done. The character that the guy from Harry Potter plays is based on the real-life Edgar Allan Poe. So, oh, so he's really weird as well. Exactly. He's such that's a weird was, dude. That's why I was like, he, and you see the, I, uh, I'll see if I can bring up a picture, but he is like, the, when he's in all the get-up and everything, he is the spitting image. Do you want an Edgar Allan Poe fact? I mean, do you have to, can you say it in a more depressing, like Edgar Allan Poe style, gothic romantic? Would you like Edgar Allan Poe fact? That's exactly what I'm here for. He, he um married his twelve year old niece. Oh god damn it. It's fucking pure noncery, mate. And here I was, I was gonna be like, oh what's this cool thing about Edgar Allan Poe? And I was like, <laughs> I wish I hadn't now. In some other ways, he was quite a funny dude. He used to really like hoodwinking the news media when they would interview him. And so he there's like a bunch of really fun fictitious stories published about him in newspapers. Mm. Um he once told people that he flew a balloon across the Atlantic. <laughs> And it became this huge news story, and it was just Edgar Allan Poe getting bored of the news media. So, apart from the um, the the of its time paedophilia that wasn't mm. considered at the time, he was an all right bloke, maybe. <laughs> part, yeah. if you excuse that one part of him. Um, so, this is the picture from the film, which I'm showing Jamie now. You can look up. Oh, he looks excellent. The film is called P- "The Pale Blue Eye." Uh, it's a fun kind of gothic era yeah, murder yeah. mystery kind of thing, and he's he's an interesting aspect of the film. Um, it was fun if you like if you liked that that description and that kind of Edgar Allan Poe without the paedophilia. If you like that kind of stuff, then it's it's a good watch. I give it a six, seven out of ten, so it's uh, it's worth checking out. So seven Edgar Allan Poe's out of a paedophile. 
I mean, sure, yes. So, this week's title that we'll be looking at, it's uh, after doing a bit of a longer topic last week, we're diving back into the mainstream, the modern, the pop culture, what's going on right now. We're going with a currently releasing title called Public Domain, which is, I don't know why I said like a game show host, but we're here now. Um, it's a comic written and illustrated by Chip Zdarsky, who I would go so far as to say is one of the best comic book writers writing right now. That was three rights in a row. Do three rights make a wrong? We'll find out in this episode. No, three rights just put you exactly back where you started. No, because four rights need to go all the way around, don't you? Oh, yeah. But you're going back the other way. At this you're, point. Yeah, you've kind of gone round and basically you're in a shit car if you're going three rights <laughs> every time to make a left. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Chip Zdarsky wrote, uh, as in wrote the story and illustrated. So this is one of our rare, um, illustration writing combinations. Yeah. We only, uh, if I only had the one before, which I think was Mouse oh, Arts Spiegelman, yeah. yeah. So we might've done another one of my, oh, um, Scott Pilgrim, that guy, he did. Yes. He, was, he did both as well. Brian yeah. Kermali yeah. wrote and drew it, yeah. No, what's interesting as well is I jumped into, as soon as I started reading this, uh, so Chip Zdarsky's done a lot of good titles, um, especially the one I recognize him from. Uh, he did a great one on Daredevil not too long ago, like generally one of the best reinventions of the character in a way. Just doing like literally taking an old ha- character and like breaking new ground with them. So mm. great stuff there. But he also did a title, which so he only wrote Daredevil. He didn't uh, do the art. But his other one that I read by him was uh, a title called Sex Criminals which is generally a really great, fun comic. It's, um, it's sex criminals in the sense that it's like two characters who, when they, so when they orgasm, they freeze time. So they, <laughs> and they, I know, right? Like Bernard's watch, watch, but you have to go off for a crafty wank. Or, or but they find each other. <laughs> so then they, they experience it together with each other. They both have the superpowers, so then they start robbing banks and stuff. So that's why sex criminals. Now, I feel like I need to clarify that because if I just said the title by itself, people might have been like, "That sounds like it could be dark." Is this the it's not. episode? It's not. It's very. It's a fun comic. Um, what I realized was with um, as soon as I opened this up and saw the art style, mm-hmm. I immediately thought, "Oh, Chips teamed up with the same artist from Sex Criminals," and I was like. That's because it's him. Yeah, that's because he drew it. Yeah. I just like the, the, you know, the, was it like written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Chip Zdarsky, penciled by Chip Zdarsky, <laughs> like Mark Jacobs by Mark Jacobs, presented <laughs> by Mark Jacobs. But so, yeah, um, I'll start off with, uh, with a little bit of a blurb um, in my, if you'll allow me, my, uh, my movie trailer voice. Is it from Wikipedia? It, where else would I have? <laughs> Actually, no, this one's from the, this one's from the Image Comics website. Hey! So. So there's two. We have two possible sources. <laughs> the problem with Wikipedia is sometimes it doesn't get the image comics. Like this is literally only five issues. So yeah. sometimes there won't be a Wikipedia entry. As good as Wikipedia is, is reliant on like popularity. If there isn't, but before we record next, I'm going to check to see if there is one. Okay. Because I'm calling to the audience to make a Wikipedia entry for this comic book. Yes, and then you can put. They can put. It was well received by the comic literate podcast. This is it. Yeah, no, this is how we get our first Wikipedia mention. Imagine if we're the first podcast that takes off from um, from Wikipedia, Wikipedia entries. <laughs> I keep seeing entries for this podcast, but I haven't heard about. It. I don't know anyone who knows about it. <laughs> and mobilizing their audience to not not vandalize Wikipedia, but to make it more complete. Yeah, adding factual. <laughs> you know, and you can write in to comicliterate at gmail.com if you want to ask us questions so we can be like, here's the correct information. Please make us a Wikipedia page. 
there's gonna there's a there's a art um cover art for the podcast once those start getting released so yeah we have everything you can put that on there you might be able to find a picture of you like a still from your tiktok i'm trying to remain anonymous facially on the internet because i don't want to be caught up for my previous financial crimes makes so, sense yeah you know understand so public domain uh the the uh solicitation as it's called that's been um left here and you'll understand why i'm specifically calling that once i finish it so sid dallas is responsible for pop culture's greatest hero the domain but his sons miles and david have a complicated relationship (laughs) with both the creation and their creator can they convince their dad to fight for their family's legacy this fun and heartfelt series written and illustrated by Eisner winner Chip Zdarsky, Sex Criminals, Daredevil, explores a wild alternate world where crazy comic book creators aren't properly acknowledged or compensated for their creations. Uh, crazy, I know. It says that. <laughs> and then wait for it, because last line is, Hi, it's me, Chip. I'm writing this solicitation. <laughs> <laughs> So we're off to a great start. I yeah. thought that was a good, uh, good um, blurb for the for the comic. Wonderful blurb. So the next, naturally, but stuff with in a non-spoiler way. How did you find the comic? I liked it so much that I was disappointed when I was clicking through it and there wasn't a sixth issue. That is the highest praise you can pay a comic, especially an ongoing releasing title. That's like yeah, that is the function. That's the intended function of it. Isn't it didn't it? satiate my. It didn't satiate my desire to read it. Exactly. And um, I like definitely enjoyed it. I think it's one of the most unique comics we've read in a while, purely from just a story standpoint. Like it's not, you know, in every other way, it's quite standard. You know, it's standard kind of um, standard art, standard panel layout, standard storytelling devices, but just purely the context of the story is unlike anything I've read. The closest I get to it, like it's it's meta in a way that Mouse was. Obviously, completely different subjects of the actual comic. Yeah. But it's meta in a way. It's met, this is meta in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way, whereas obviously Mouse was meta in a way where it was storytelling about the storyteller telling his dad's story. Yeah. Te- you know. But I found the meta-ness of it was the most interesting aspect. Um, and essentially, like the blurb said, it's about um, a comic book superhero creator and his dealing with the rights of the comic and the reason that's a subject is because that's happening every day it could i mean it couldn't be a more boring topic Mm. i like a boring topic we did say when we started the podcast you your main goal of it is you are to, to be informative and i said that's fine but we also need to be entertaining. <laughs> and I feel like we kind of not wrestle in our, our uh, intentions, but we, we're like kind of oil and water. We're like trying to like fight them in together. You know? I have very little desire to be funny. To be entertaining. <laughs> and yet you naturally can be. Whereas I have to, I have to put it on like a face that a serial killer wears to fit in. Like, <laughs> so we've got both bases covered. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? Exactly. So, um... Yeah, it's it's a real topic. It's a it's it's a boring adult topic when you're talking about copyright and you know um, rights and credits and all that stuff. Yeah, and the financials of the comic book industry. But I think this this grounds that subject so well in just the family dynamic. That is the most interesting part. That's what you're there for, isn't it? And Chip Zdarsky is is fantastic at writing dialogue, especially in comic form. It's very naturalistic, the dialogue. Mm, when comics, especially, like, when I was reading his Daredevil run, 
it was so noticeable how different that was and how he still had to shoehorn in some of the conventions of superhero comics where there's a lot of exposition and he he balanced that so well by also making the characters try and sound as natural as possible. I think comic book writers are prone to hyperbole. Now, having ever written a comic, it might be natural to take that as maybe a shortcut when you're limited in panels and pages. Because everyone's got to fit like 23 pages. And this makes no bones about the fact that comic book writing historically was quite poor. Oh, for sure, yeah. And that's and the the character, so the character being the father of the family. He literally describes like, oh yeah, mine was like, they describe his as like the 60s, 70s Batman. Yeah. Like that, like, pow, wham, come here, Robin, let's take these boys to prison kind of, you know, writing. Mm. Whereas the comic has gotten away from him since he just stopped drawing it. And to be fair, he only drew it as well. That's that's an interesting aspect as well. He only drew the the main, the comic that it's about, the superhero called Domain, which that's a very on-the-nose name for yeah, <laughs> to is. make it fit with the title of the comic. But um, it's, it, he, it's interesting that he only drew it because I think that draws quite a big parallel to... So I think it's drawing a parallel with Jack Kirby, specifically. Who's Jack Kirby? So Jack Kirby, um, and Jack Kirby is the almost other half of Marvel creations with Stan Lee. So a lot of comics who people credit for a long time with just Stan Lee is Jack Kirby as well. Jack Kirby was more of an artist. And in our last issue, if you remember the creation of the Marvel Thor character... We talked about Jack Kirby. Exactly. But specifically in the way that Stan Lee was like, well, here's what I was thinking when I came up with the Marvel character Thor. Yeah. And then Jack Kirby was like, yeah, I drew a Thor like 10 years ago for DC. <laughs> like, so I just brought that over. Yeah. So um, so I think it's a relation to that. I think maybe writers get a little more like control and assumed ownership over creations. But then with comics especially, the artists are the ones who bring it to life. Like, literally make what you see in your head when you think about Batman and Superman and all those. And this is where the actual copyright aspects of it become interesting. Because let's um, apply absurdium reductum here. I mean, I'm going to pretend like I know what that is. So, yeah, 100%. Let's do that. Absurdium reductum is where you make a point um, which kind of demonstrates what you're saying but doesn't because you've stripped all the context away. Right. So it's like a false argument or like a, a misleading argument? Yeah, it's a misleading argument. If, if, if somebody's arguing with you, you can sometimes say, well, that's absurdium reductum. I, so, say, that, I say that every day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's just part of your lexicon, isn't it? Yeah, of course. For the past 33 seconds since I elucidated you as to what it meant. I say in the morning by myself <laughs> when I'm eating breakfast. <laughs> so <laughs> it's my mantra. Let's say that somebody makes a puppet cool and then somebody else takes that puppet and uses it in a really successful stage show i think i see where you're going with this yeah right then because of based on the success of the stage show a company comes along and says i would like to make a toy line based on the puppet and then the person who did the stage show ends up owning the royalties and earning all of the money from the toys even though what's actually being replicated here is the puppeteers, the artists' work. That's what is happening in this comic book. One person has drawn something, somebody else has used that art to create a story, but it's the people who wrote and published the story who are making all of the money from the merchandising, but actually what you're merchandising is a likeness of that other person's drawing. And that becomes challenging in our modern world because, of course, 
corporations like to own intellectual property. Yeah, that's a big thing of theirs. They're big fans of that, from what I understand. Yeah, and it... You you hear creators talk about it a lot. George R. R. Martin talked about it a lot because he had some really complex discussions when people were trying to make a Game of Thrones. There were a lot of occasions where TV studios or movie studios up and down the years would want to option a Game of Thrones, but then they would get into it with him and they would find out that he'd already licensed it to a lot of different people. And so before there was somebody making a likeness of Longclaw, Jon Snow's sword, as it's represented in a Game of Thrones, there were already companies who George R. R. Martin had licensed that to who were already producing it. And so there was a lot of occasions where people didn't want to touch it because they couldn't license the intellectual property to make merchandise because he'd already done that. And that's what they want if they get the end product of a film or TV show is let's sell merchandise. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, with something, particularly with comic books and comic book films, you're making a negligible amount of money from actually publishing the comics. You're making a few million and basically only covering your costs on opening weekend from the film. You're making a little bit of money when a streaming service service licenses it, but the lion's share of the money that a company like Marvel or DC makes is from licensing their their stuff for toys. And not even just them, like Star Wars and pretty much everything Everything that has toys about it, yeah. Yeah, everything Disney. And, you know, you, you watch certain film franchises these days, and you see a character that is cute and fluffy, that doesn't really serve the story in any way. And you go, well, they made that to sell toys. You know, the little bird things in the new trail. Mm. They were there entirely so they could license the rights out to put them on things. Same with the Ewoks. We, on that topic, one thing I'm always amazed by, there was Star Wars, and to a large extent Disney, obviously, made a big gamble when they released the first series of The Mandalorian. The gamble being that they didn't... They, the surprise reveal in the first episode was Baby Yoda, mm. right? And the reason that people were kind of like, oh my God, there's a great surprise. But a lot of people who, who know about that stuff, like to an extent myself, we were like, it's amazing they didn't try and they didn't put him in the pre-marketing because yeah. they could have sold a shitload of toys. But obviously the gamble was the surprise and the just the quality of the TV show made it more well known than if before they were like, hey, we've got this Mandalorian show coming up and also there's a baby Yoda and can have a look. Post Disney Star Wars is kind of interesting in that regard because there's some interesting things happening that aren't obviously marketable. Like the Clone Wars TV series is, I hear, excellent. It's very good, I can attest. Yeah. That, I, and uh, Rebels TV show as well. Yeah, I have Star Wars fans who, in my life, who swear by it and say it's one of the best things that's come out of the franchise. And that didn't have a whole lot of the cutesy stuff in the intellectual property that would have been obviously good to market to children. Mm. Yeah, Star Wars is kind of unique in the Disney universe for that right now. But the Disney universe, which Marvel obviously exists within at the moment is a copyright machine. Yeah, uh, Disney is the, the juggernaut of copyright. Have you ever heard, you know when you call something a bit Mickey Mouse? Uh, in rhyme, Cockney rhyming slang or? No, just in general. You say, you'll, you know, you'll look at something and go, oh, that's a Mickey Mouse version of XYZ. Uh, I know what you mean. I don't, honestly, I don't hear it that much. But it's I... an expression that's 
fallen out of use over the past decade, I would say. But it was a really popular expression in the late 21st century, 20th century, early 21st century. And that comes from the Mickey Mouse law. And that's the copyright, isn't it? That's copyright extension. It was when Mickey Mouse's ears were coming out of copyright going into the public domain and Disney lobbied the American government to extend copyright. Disney have been the driving force between the extension of copyright law in the 20th and 21st centuries. Disney are a mis- Disney is a company that was based upon Walt Disney taking intellectual properties that were in the public domain. All of the Grimm's Brothers fairy tales, Tarzan was a series of books from the 19th century. Lots and lots of intellectual properties. Think of any classic Disney film. It's probably an old children's book series. And so isn't the idea now is they have determined the difference between that if it's the original version. So like the original Winnie the Pooh has obviously just recently entered the um, public domain. Yeah. But that's the original books and cartoons, not any Disney related films or TV. But something that Disney are really good at is pursuing copyright claims on creators that are making things based on the same public domain stuff that they were using 60 years ago. Well, they've lost it a bit with Winnie the Pooh because one of the first things that came out since that release was the um, Blood and Honey Winnie the Pooh horror film. So the fact that they could get that out, the Blood and Honey film, what that said to me was that they, they must not be able to control that or they must not be able to influence that control as much anymore because yeah. Disney would not want a horror film about Winnie the Pooh out there if they could help it. I reckon they tried. I bet they tried to stop it. So the fact that it's come out tells me they must be losing that grip on that to well, an extent. Yeah, copyright is an interesting beast because you can't be selective about what you enforce. Well, uh, it depends if the if it it just depends if the holder um, says something, isn't it? No. Okay. So, if you own a copyright and you don't enforce that copyright, then people are essentially free to do whatever they please. Right. But you cannot be selective in the way you enforce a piece of copyrighted material that you own the IP for. So, if somebody does something you don't like with your copyright, with your um copyrighted material if you put a copyright strike in them it's going to mean that you need to enforce that copyright everywhere everywhere that you control that copyright in every sphere that you control it you either don't enforce it or you enforce it it's binary you don't just get to say that person is allowed to breach that copyright and that person isn't you have to make a specific licensing deal with one person and then enforce it with everybody else unless you have specific licensing deals you are not allowed to be selective in the way that you enforce your copyrights. So is there a punishment for if you're a holder and you selectively enforce it? You just can't. If you want to enforce your copyright, you have to enforce it everywhere. But what I mean is, so, but is who is, who is enforcing that rule? Because it's like, if, if someone took something from, our, from, from this podcast and we were like, I don't like that person using this, so I'm going to do a copy strike it and claim it. But then if someone else did it and we were like, actually, we don't mind them doing it. So YouTube would just copyright strike everything. That's it. Because I thought copyright strikes were, I, they, so they do have an automatic system. Yeah. But past that automatic system, there is also the raising strike. Someone can raise a strike against you system as well, isn't there? Yeah. So if we, fair enough, if the algorithm didn't pick up our, our claims automatically, then um, 
surely we would we could choose who we enforce it against and who we didn't yeah but you choose to enforce it on one person and then they feed that into the algorithm and everybody else who's done something similar that the algorithm wasn't picking up well it will then be enforced yeah i guess it depends on the strength of the algorithm which as we established earlier all algorithms are getting stronger and stronger yeah and eventually they'll be so strong they'll take over the world and it's fascinating because there are some little um lawless lands where copyright isn't enforced i mean there's some governments of countries that just don't give a shit do they well yeah and that happens in really interesting places like in japan for the longest time um only copyrights that were specifically filed in japan would be enforced in japan which is why you see amazing copies of things coming out of japan in the 1980s like american cars and guitars and watches and things like that because those copyrights weren't specifically filed in japan so providing you were making stuff for the Japanese domestic market alone, you can make whatever the fuck you wanted, as long as somebody else didn't own the rights to it in Japan. That was a very uh, Japan-first kind of mentality. I'm yeah, guessing. absolutely. Well, they they just didn't see a point in it. Um, the, why were they going to enforce copyrights that hadn't been filed with them? Yeah, well, I said this, this gets into a far more complex, like, why does any country or government choose to enforce what international laws when? Yeah. So, and that might be a bit above our pay scale because I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to talk about cartoon dicks. Like that's that's my. Um, there aren't any dicks in this one yet. No, I was just it's because I was editing the. Um, uh, what was I editing earlier? Oh, Ice Cream Man, where we talked about no. When I talked about uh, no, it was uh, the beginning of the Scott Pilgrim episode. I we were talking about um, the lack of Viggo Mortensen's dick in that Cronenberg um, film. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I made a note of it. I was like, at, at ten minutes in, we talk about celebrity dicks. Like, <laughs> just for reference, just Trigger in case. Trigger warning. Just in case, yeah. So the we haven't actually. This is probably one of the few times we've talked quite a bit without talking about the actual story of the comic. With, I, I, you know what? It's not very plot heavy, is it? I'd say what it is is the the main plot being about the rights of the comic and what they do with it. Yeah, is if feels thematically like the main plot yeah. but what drives it most of the time is the family connections and yeah. the character interactions there so it's an interesting take on that i think chip does a great job of making the family dynamic the driving force even though it seems like it's about copyright and the and everything else yeah there's um Definitely some great jokes in there. I think Chip Zdarsky is, is one of the funniest comic writers. Yeah, there's some fun moments, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, uh, if we get into specifics, I mean, it, so we're only talking about, there's only been five issues out, yeah. essentially a volume. So we'll say up top now, I, I think this is a great comic. Um, I think what's a good thing, a good exercise for us is if we would recommend the comic, why would we recommend it? Because we could say, oh, it's good. And then someone who's not into why we think it's good would not get the same reaction. Why would you recommend it? I would recommend it on twofold. One, it's very interesting about the real life um, uh, copyright things like we were just talking yeah. about. <laughs> but also specifically, there's been a, a, a bubble of that specifically with superhero comic creators and the recent success of the MCU. Yeah. So the specific, uh, so I'd recommend on that basis, but I'd also recommend it just on, as I said, the strength of the writing and the characters. Like, if you want a good family drama, it's that in spades. Like, you wouldn't yeah. think so, but it is, it's a lot of that, and to a great degree, because the characters are written so well. So I would say, if you're a fan of art, if you want either well-written family drama characters, you can, I would recommend on that, or if you're mm. into this real-life um, thing of superhero creators, 
is very good for that as well. If you like both, you'll love it. And that's where I think I came from. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you, Mm. actually. One thing I did look up beforehand was, now that we mention it, is one of the real-life inspirations for this kind of thing. I was intrigued. I didn't look it up, but I am intrigued to know. So I only brought this up because it was a story I previously knew. So this is a very common thing where you had creators for Marvel and DC through, like, apparently... So apparently DC pay a bit better than Marvel, apparently. The, the, I heard this point in a podcast today, actually, but the, um, the reference I heard was that apparently this is a complete example, it might be wrong, but someone, one, the comic book creators, they jump from ship to ship constantly. They go yeah. Marvel, DC constantly. Someone at Marvel made a minor character and they got more money for that. Then when they then went to Marvel and created a major character who's so still somebody today. Somebody at DC made a minor character there and then went to Marvel and got more money. Yeah, no, no. Okay. So no, they made a bigger character Marvel yeah. and got less money for the bigger character. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is it, it just, it was a pay disparity between the two companies. But regardless of that comparison, there was a, just a common theme of creators, so writers and artists making characters. Um, those characters then like 10 20 30 years later being in these massive comic book films so they're raking in millions based using these characters but when you look at marvel or dc they say oh we paid them like 50 quid uh, 20 years ago why we why would we give them any more we don't have to and that's the issue and it it does become the difference between what they agreed you know they signed on the dotted line they accepted an amount for whatever the work they did initially and now, 30 years later, they're making so much bank off these characters that they own. And fans are asking, hey, what about this person? It's like, well, we invited him to the premiere. Yeah. It's like, well, couldn't you, could you kick him back a little more? Like, it's the same process by which a lot of musicians lost a lot of money back in the day. Yes, exactly. Session musicians could either choose to get paid up front and just be paid for their work or sometimes would be offered royalties. But because they were starving artists, they couldn't afford to wait for the royalties. And so they would sign on for, you know, $20 today so they could pay their rent. And suddenly they're on this huge hit song that's making millions and they're not getting any money from it. Exactly. And there's a specific example which I pulled back. So this is just, this is literally just one example of a thing that happened a lot of times. But uh, so there's a character in Captain America called the Winter Soldier. Yep. He was created by a creator called Ed Brubaker. So Ed Brubaker, great comic writer. Um, his One of his series I particularly enjoyed is a series called Criminal, which I think is Image. I, I might be wrong, but it's a, definitely a third party. It's a detective noir kind of anthology, but rather than like the ice cream anthology, which per issue, it's per volume. So it's a volume, yeah. one story across several issues, and then that closes and starts again. They kind of intertwine a bit. It's all like detective noir. And just the fact it's called criminal, you know, gives you a guess. Yeah. Really well written. Like the fact that it's so short gives you like great characters in such a short time. So mm. he's a great writer. He created the Winter Soldier back in got probably eighties, I think. Okay. Big character because um the Winter Soldier, the big reveal, spoilers for a 30, 40 year old comic. <laughs> the Winter Soldier turned out to be the character Bucky Barnes, who was like the kid sidekick of Captain America during the war. And that's a thing that happens in the captain america films isn't it the winter yes. soldiers present there exactly and that's why this is coming up now is because he created this character back in the during the comic got paid a decent amount like at the time yeah uh, but now you're literally seeing winter soldier massive films and like yeah. disney plus shows and he's like yeah i ain't got nothing for that and that should be his intellectual property really well again this comes down to this this agreement of like if they signed it at the time knowingly 
do they deserve anything later on? And obviously, as fans, we want to be like, yeah, give him something. But Marvel and DC, they're like, well, if we give him a little bit, then we've got to give this one some, we've got to give someone else some. You know, you know, they're, they're being greedy. This is where I think copyright law is starting to fail. Because do you know why copyright law was originally invented? Is it patent law? Or is the, are we talking specifically like works of fiction? and Works of fiction. Okay. Co- this specific branch of copyright law. Enlighten me. So it was written into the Statute of Anne in England. Right. Which was just a bunch of laws. But copyright was one of them. And it was designed to incentivize writing and right. the arts. And so what would happen is you would write a thing and you would get 30 years where only you could it, you could build only you could build on it so you would get a 30 year grace period if you started a novel series for instance you'd get 30 years to finish it off before anybody else could touch it after that 30 years it would go into the public domain right and it was designed to incentivize writers to keep writing because if you met if you wrote a first novel and then somebody hired a team of writers to write the second one that would really disincentivize you from writing and it would disincentivize you from trying again. And so it was done to protect writers and give them a bit of breathing space to finish their stories, essentially. Right. What's happened is, now that we have licensing deals for merchandise and corporations getting involved, they have pushed for longer and longer copyright periods so that they can continue to profit from things for a longer period of time. Right. But I don't think anybody needs to have a copyright that extends past the life of the author. No, not certainly. at all. And that's what we're now seeing, and that's the problem, and that's what this is talking about. It's corporations holding copyrights and not writers. Yeah, exactly. And I think the problem is what we're, what we're experiencing now is, well, what was experiencing at the time was you had these corporations that were so big, and back at this was before Marvel was Disney, but when Marvel and DC were the two biggest players, it was like, if you want to write comics, you've got, we'll pay you what we decide, and you do it for us, and we own it afterwards, and maybe you'll get to do something again for us. But yeah. Um, and that is the problem is it's, it's not just them recouping their, their, the money for making in the first place, but it's, it's them using their weight to leverage creators into like, if you want to do this, we're the biggest game in town. So you have to. Well, for a long time, Marvel and DC were the only game in town. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really telling that this came out in image comics where people retain their copyrights. Yeah. And I was going to make that point of the. It's. I think it's very brave that Chip has written this comic and yeah. made the content, but it's no surprise at all that Image have released it because for anyone who doesn't know, Image Comic are the third biggest. They are the third party to Marvel yeah. and DC and where they set themselves apart is they describe themselves and are in real world, they are creator owned. So I don't know the specifics, but essentially they publish comics for people. They don't own anything. Um, the only ones who own... The only ones they might own parts of are ones where the creators have become part of the company. So like a big one, I, I keep mentioning big comic book creators or like yeah. the best ones. And I, I realized the other day I'd forgotten Robert Kirkman. Yes. So he's obviously one of the best, biggest of today and has written like two of my all time favorite series in The Walking Dead and Invincible. But he has become the editor in chief of Image Comics. So he started as a, just yeah. a writer and he's worked, whether he worked his way up or he just literally went from writer to editor-in-chief <laughs> but so now i think image own a part of his comics because he is image if that makes sense like he's he's so ingrained like if he left image tomorrow and image started making more content on about his stuff i don't think people would be like 
oh, what, he just wrote for you, then you buggered him off, and now you yeah. get the money. It's like, no, he was editor-in-chief for, like, yeah. 10 years almost. That that will have been done to for his tax status, let's be frank. Probably, here. yeah. But also, people like Brian K. Vaughan had, like, positions within Image yeah. and while writing these huge comics. They're still releasing Saga, which I need to catch up on, because that's one of the greatest comics of all time. I want to talk about it so much. There's so much. We, we're going to go back to Volume 1. <laughs> yeah, like, we're going to have to. I don't remember read. any of this, but it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to quote from this story, the Brubaker one. Again, yeah. this is just an example, a snapshot of the larger story. But... Um, Brubaker talking about it, he said, uh, Brubaker highlighted the salary discrepancy for comic creators and artists by noting that he earned more money for his cameo performance in the film The Winter Soldier than for his creation of the character itself. And that alone is just mental. Wild, isn't it? Because the cameo was literally stand in the background and people go, look, it's Ed Brubaker. That was it. Yeah. He made the character and got less money than to just stand in the background. Mm. But um, yeah, so the... What's great about this story is it highlights this real world issue mm. within a very niche market that most of the world don't care, know or care about. And I think it's interesting because copyright law was always intended to make sure that as much stuff got made for us to enjoy as possible. Mm. And so I'm torn as to whether corporations having control of these copyrights means there is more stuff or less stuff. It certainly means that there is more high budget stuff. Yes, 100%. Because I think corporations would be less likely to make these huge budget movies if they didn't have complete control over all the copyrights. Yeah. But it also means that there's less of it. Well, I think the amount and the quality depends on the owner. Because on the one hand, you look at like Disney, they're chur- if they own a thing, they're churning out content for it. But if you look at someone like like the reason that we haven't had a solo Hulk film in the Marvel yeah. universe is because Universal owns the rights to yeah. them. And because Universal owns the rights to them, Marvel said, All right, if we make a solo Hulk film, then we'll, you know, you you can make it and you know, you get all the rights. And we're never gonna make a solo Hulk film. Like yeah, that's absolutely. just how that's why he's never had one. Yeah, they license him out to Marvel the same way that Universal licensed Spider Man out to Marvel so at the moment. Sony, we'll we'll get complete. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll get cancelled if we don't get this right. Sony license they have a deal, ongoing deal with Marvel. Um, and I remember that being a big issue because that when that happened, a lot of people took they had a dispute before their now renewed deal. And a lot of people took the side of Marvel and Disney over Sony. And a lot of people question, uh, other people question that. They were like, why are you taking the side of the big corporation over the slightly smaller corporation? Like, surely you'd want a bit more diversification. And any other time I would say, yes, but Sony Spider-Man films fucking suck. Except for Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is amazing. I like the Tobey Maguire films. Yeah, so yeah, they were, obviously those were great. Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire is one of the best superhero films of all time. Yeah, it's excellent. It's genre-divining. But the Andrew Garfield ones were so bad that Andrew Garfield stopped being Spider-Man and he was a great Spider-Man. I really like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. A lot of people love Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. There's that moment where he's in turmoil and he's in the suit and he's walking across that roof and it's so expressive despite the fact he's in an immobile suit. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's that he was great in it there was great moments in it but the amazing spider-man 2 was a mess of a film and that's the problem is they when they got too successful they put too much in then they made morbius which is one of the worst (laughs) fucking films tell you what it's one of the most middle of the road boring films yeah but it somehow also manages to have 
the worst post credit scene I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't think a bad post credit yeah. scene was even possible before I saw that. <laughs> and I heard it. I was like, people were like, the film's boring and the post credits is terrible. And I was like, how do you make a terrible post credit scene? Now I watched it. I was like, well done. Like you need to be, Sony should be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Whoever <laughs> managed to do that. It's like, imagine someone's like, I'm going to make a bad version of an, a bad epilogue. Yeah. Like you'd be like, what do you mean a bad epilogue? Like, how does that even make sense? And then you read it and you're like, that's, that's how they did it. <laughs> but no, just entertain me for a moment mm-hmm. and imagine that copyright still only lasted for 30 years. Sure. Which would mean that at this point in history within this universe, anybody could write a domain story. Yes. Yeah. Right? We're more than 30 years on. Anybody could write a domain story. And it would mean that original creator would still be able to be making a living from his intellectual property yep. because it's in the public domain. And he would still be the original writer. Everybody would know that a domain story that was coming from him was canonical. Yeah, it'd be the, it'd be the equivalent of um, if a Star Wars thing was released and it was like, by George Lucas. Yeah. So Disney could still make their ones and he could maybe have sold like all the domain rights or whatever. But then he'd be like, I'm still going to make my own stuff. And well, people would still draw to at this point, them. anybody would be able to make a Star Wars film. Yes, but to your point, it's like the name attached would have more meaning than the name of the title. Yeah, exactly. But it would mean that we would have this fucking treasure trove of all of of content for all of the things that we love mm. and it would be a truly democratic and it would be a truly democratic world within the arts which is currently not what we have yeah um i think i'm i'm 100% on your side of let's reduce the copyright t- um lengths or terms or whatever you want to call them i think 30 years is like the best like middle 30 years is what it was originally yeah Um, i would reduce it to that for sure disney pushed it for i think 70 and then it's up to i think it's the art it's the life of the artist plus 100 years now but now that corporations are holding these copyrights and they're listed as the artist providing the corporate corporation keeps going it's in effect infinite well there's also been a big issue there with um, warner brothers so warner brothers have literally just taken stuff off the slate um because they own it mm. and people who made it got no say the biggest most recent example of that was the batgirl film yeah that just literally got m- fully made and then they were like nah it's not re- released now and the reason was the insider say the reason is uh it was uh, if they didn't release it they can make it a tax write-off so they make more money uh, not releasing it. right okay but publicly they say well someone in um someone in uh warner brothers has said oh the film was bad it was unreleasable it was like Mate, you released Space Jam 2. What are you <laughs> what are you on about? There's no such thing as unreleasable. So true. You've you've already demonstrated. Yeah. But they have to say that because they can't say it's a tax write-off because that's tax fraud. They can't say we yeah. did it for tax purposes. So, but then what you've got is them saying, "Oh, it's unreleasable." It's like, "Okay, so all the people who worked on it what made a bad film?" Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That is what they're saying. It's the creators who get thrown under the bus for shit like this. Yeah. But also, and that point as well warner brothers took a lot of animations off like hbo max and stuff because they was like yeah we we can't be asked to host anymore so you've got a bunch of creators who like who have signed exclusive deals with them they're like where can my cartoon be watched if people want to watch my stuff like nowhere so you've got creators being for all this exact reason you've got creators saying if you want to watch my stuff pirate or stream it like do it illegally because that's the only way you can see my stuff so it's having ramifications across the board. Yeah, it is. Um, and we live in a really interesting time for it. And also, interesting tidbit, 
when mm-hmm. um, the show Velma got released recently, which by all accounts everyone hated. Yeah. Um, the HBO made this point where they're like, it's the highest viewed animation on HBO Max. <laughs> and people are like, it's the only animation on HBO Max, you <laughs> bastards. <laughs> you yeah, didn't, didn't they do a bunch of stuff with all the Scooby-Doo characters and change them all around and people got upset about it? Yeah, but but it wasn't because they had changes. It was just because it was bad. They made someone black and they got upset about it? Well, so this is the problem. It pissed off the right because of these changes. Like, they made uh, Shaggy black and they made Velma lesbian, I think. Or, or something. Wasn't Velma always queer? I think she was queer-coded in a positive way. Like, yeah. Or, or she was pe- or fans just assigned that to her and that yeah. just kind of took off. But the, but the problem is the right got pissed off by that, which is bollocks. Everyone else got pissed off. Like you changed Shaggy's name to Norville. You completely changed his character. Skin color completely irrelevant. Mm. You just completely changed his character. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah, and you took and they took out Scooby Doo from Scooby Doo. Well, they made it Velma. It was like right, Vel- yeah, yeah, yeah. Velma had Scooby put down so she could be the main character of a. <laughs> of a show <laughs> i assume i don't think that's, well, that's canon that's one way of making the alt-right hate lesbians yeah exactly <laughs> um, so it was just a badly written show yeah it, it tried to be provocative but it put that ahead of being well written and good and funny ah oh, scooby-doo was sick as well the old cartoons are so good you know the scooby-doo films <clears throat> i maintain are good well They're, the live action one yeah. with um buffy yeah Sarah michelle Geller, yeah. uh fred oh what's his name no played fred um Will something? Um, God damn, Fre- Freddie Prince Jr. I can't talk about those films too much because I have a bit of a standing crush on Linda Cardinelli. Yeah, she's good, and she played Velma. Is it because of that scene in the second film where she was wearing all the leather? No, I've not seen the second film. I, you, if, if what based on what you've just said, you would love the second film because well, I. So I watched um, Freaks and Geeks when I was younger, mm. and Linda Cardinelli was like well cool in that. Mm. And then, yeah, watching back through Scooby-Doo, I'm like, am I into this? <laughs> it's, it's, I, I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. <laughs> Community reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> but we can't talk about Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland at the moment. Not right now. No. I mean, because <laughs> the episode probably won't come out for another two months and worse stuff might come out in that yeah, time. Absolutely. So let's just avoid that topic altogether. Belinda Cardinelli, man. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And again, you see her the second one. She was also great as the sister of, of New Girl. Of, yes uh, yes a new girl she was great in that as well. and then she was good in that netflix thing where she played the woman who'd murdered that person's wife yeah netflix you're gonna have to narrow that down buddy oh so she she ran this woman's husband over and then made friends with her after the death and like really infiltrated her life and it was this whole story about her being really worried that her new friend was going to find out she'd killed her husband Right. Uh, don't know that off the top of my head. You might have to find us the uh, the title next time around so you yeah. can recommend it or not. It's, I mean, if, it's... if just for the actress. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So the original story of the comic, it, again, it's definitely in two parts that are intertwined, which is the whole copyright issue and the mm. family drama. Um, I found a lot of the the references, yeah, to kind of like take a minute to work out. Uh, like, so the company is called Singular. They are yes. the Marvel or DC stand-in. Um, I like the joke early on about, uh, so I, I wrote it word for word cause it was just like so basic. I wanted to get exact, which is, um, so the director's talking about the domain film that's just come out, which the dad is the creator is going to see. And he says, the director before the premiere says, I didn't take lightly the fact that this was the midpoint movie in phase five of the SCU. Yeah. It was like, 
if you know you know that's literally like word for word from like actual directors of these films oh they nailed it yeah um i loved the scene of the interview with the actor oh where he punches him Uh, leading up to the punch was like just the bonus at the end but the leading up to like so the these actors do these what they call junk press junkets and they just sit there all day yeah for like hours on end which in itself does sound horrible like i empathize slightly with that but also they're being paid millions of dollars so i'm not that bothered but um the way he is just sitting on his phone and they're like hey i'm so-and-so from the paper and he's like yeah i don't care like that attitude. he sat on his phone and then he went, he says, let's go. And he has this big beaming smile. And they're like, this is for a newspaper. There's no cameras. And he just goes straight back on yeah, his phone. So it's like, okay, ready. And it's like, no, it's like, oh, yeah. just down again. He had to turn his personality on for a minute. I feel like Chip Zdarsky's in that world. So he sees that yeah. exact thing. And and he, the the fact that he was talking about modern mythology and our shared mythology with these comic books. Yeah, that was the Ugh. the tinned response that oh, prepared. Yeah. Icky. Because we just did a whole episode about mythology last time. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it like butchering the word almost mm. but also little things that go a bit under notice like the person arranging the interview says um you need to say the name of the film three times if you do i'll remember you positively if you don't i'll remember you for other i'll reasons. definitely remember you yeah, yeah. and uh, little things like that i assume just are happening like i assume that is just the way it goes um i like chip he's such an in-depth character writer but you can tell there's moments where he just phones in like the technicality so at one point he literally writes the word so he writes the phrase someone won a journalism award for it and you could tell he was like ah journalism award or like the character's like the character doesn't know what <laughs> what a journalism award is one joke i particularly liked was in that interview scene they say do not ask the actor any questions about sex or afghanistan unless and, they're funny and that just sounds so that just sounds like a random joke and then later, when he's on the red carpet, they say that he only he, he only oh, yeah, I've got it. He, okay, I've got it exactly. He, so he's talking to someone on the red carpet. He says, um, "The only time I'm against pulling out is with Afghanistan." Well, it was an interviewer asking about it, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's oh yeah, it, it points such a knowing lens at that world, mm. doesn't it? I do like how when the when the main character, I, I think it's the main character, Miles, so the son. He feels like the protagonist, doesn't yeah. he? So when he basically has a go at the actor, because the actor obviously doesn't care about this thing that his dad created, um, the actor has a bit of like, look, mate, I'm not here to take some nerd nerd purity test or whatever. Yeah. And the thing with that is I do empathize with that specifically because being a comic book fan, I've seen all the a lot of these interviews. And I've seen a lot of times where some comic book fan goes up to say like bloody... Um, Chris Evans has just done Captain America 1 and he's doing the Avengers or whatever. Mm. And some comic book nerd has gone like, are we ever going to see uh, a Civil War storyline or whatever? He's like, and, I don't fucking know. Yeah, Chris Evans like, I'm, I'm acting. I'm paid to act this part. Mm. I know the script. Like, So I empathize with that aspect. But there's also a balance of like, now we know the culture is more aware of the fact that if you're getting into a franchise, you are dealing with the franchise fans, the fanatics and they're awful human beings as well. Yeah, they're not great to deal with. So I have little sympathy because Miles Miles says no, this isn't gatekeeping. He he may, he he uses that exact phrase, doesn't he? Gatekeeping, yes. which I think is a phrase that that we has, that applies to us and what we talk about quite a bit. Oh, it's come into the popular consciousness in a really prevalent way over the past few years, hasn't it? Yeah, the idea I, of gatekeeping. I think the biggest, most recent um, 
example of that is the amount of people who got into Marvel because of the MCU films. And you obviously had all these comic book uh, fans who were like, you don't even know about, you know, you didn't read, you didn't collect a yard box full of issues and had to wait in the comic book store for the for the new issue to be released and it's like yeah no they didn't and then normal. it's funny because people like me who are really into mythology get a bit gatekeepy around thor and mm. stuff like that and really like gatekeeping i think it's like a it's a defense mechanism about when people are like there's still a stigma and being too into a niche thing which i think today's younger generation don't have as much because everything's niche for them now like everything is an in unless you're into like a big thing like pop music or sports or something everything else is like specific genre of whatever but it's more accepted now to just have your own things whereas like 30 years ago it was like if you weren't into the main things you were just a weirdo or a nerd so i think as a defense mechanism gatekeeper came like a well if i if they're going to stigmatize me for being into this thing if you try and get into it i'm going to throw it back at you it's a form of tribalism as well isn't it yeah we we have a tribal relationship to the things that we're into yeah that's it one i'm really poorly wording is yeah there's yeah yeah, there's this tribal relationship with the things that we're into and you can there's this inclination to malign people who have a lesser understanding than you that are just an excited novice um and so i can yeah i can i can sympathize with actors but I also sympathize with that actor. Yeah. Because really what you're watching is another cog in the machine. Yes. He's another artist who's caught up in that corporate world of, you love acting. You probably got into acting in school and liked being in plays. And then you got really good at it. And now you're in films. And now you and have also, to sit. Also, you were genetically blessed. So you were given a leg up in the industry. Yeah, But now you have to sit and have a hundred people ask you the same three questions, three minutes at a time for days on end. Mm in this lonely hotel, sterile hotel um, function room away from your family. Like I can, I can sympathize with that guy because that guy was sat engrossed in his phone, but he didn't want to be there. And I wouldn't want to be there if I was doing something like mm. that. But um, back to what I was saying before, like when I said about him being genetically gifted, it's like, that's why I like my actors. My, I want my actors to be character actors. Or I want them to be weird looking because then I know the acting is going to be great if they're in a big film. So like, yeah, when you see William Defoe turn up, wh- sorry, who? Willem Defoe. Willem Defoe. Come Willem on. Defoe. This is the, the Rafe Fines thing. <laughs> <laughs> Willem might actually be a name though. Will- Rafe just says it weird. Yeah. Yeah. Willem Defoe. Like great example. Funny looking character actor. Yeah. And one of the best, I'd say one of the best actors of our generation. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Again, great in Spider-Man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and almost, he topped his own performance in No Way Home, I think. I've seen it yet. Oh, it's amazing. If you like Willem Dafoe, he is the cornerstone of that film, I'd say. And, I, and I'm and i really fond of Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland. I think they're all brilliant. Yes, they are all great. They're great in their own ways, which is, it's it's fascinating to compare them. Yeah. But again, to- uh, uh, Andrew Garfield, he was at the whim of the studio when he was in his film. So when they turned out shit, people forgot how good he was because they were focusing on the negatives, which was yeah. the writing and everything else. Oh, watch it, watching him really get into some character acting. Have you seen him play, I don't want to butcher the guy's name, but in Tick, Tick, Boom? Yeah, I recommended that to you, I think, like oh, like late last year. It's a great have you seen t- Have you seen the film? I watched it when it came out. Oh, uh, so I watched it as well. Did we not talk about, I mean, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. It was well, before the podcast Because I'm a started. huge Limo Miranda fan. Right, and that's he wrote and directed it, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. It was and his that, directorial debut. Yeah, that was a fantastic film. Oh, 
and yeah. I didn't know anything about it going in. Like Did I you didn't not know, know anything I didn't about Ren. No, I didn't know who the guy was. I didn't know he. Spoilers for Tick Tick Boom. I didn't know he died at the end. Yeah. So yeah, that was. Uh, but that was that was pretty heartbreaking. But again, I mean, it was a. It was kind of partly about the AIDS epidemic, wasn't it? Which yes. Is I mean, fucking that, hard to watch. That was a huge aspect, obviously. But yeah, the Andrew Garfield again, he suffered because he had not actors typically don't have control over, you know, works. But mm. I think Sony would have been better off if they someone else had taken the reins rather than or allowing whoever was directing to it rather than being a big corporate studio who had total control over the final product and made a mess of it. Mm. The only and I stand by as well, the only reason the Spider-Verse, the animated film, was any good, I I would bet money on it if we could prove it one way or another i think sony didn't give a shit about it i think they were like animated film looks fun make some merch money somebody who cared had a lot of creative control it was the people who made the lego film i think oh interesting and 21 jump street i think i think they're a pair they'll do oh wow but yeah that's um, an interesting corpus isn't it yeah but they just they're good at comedy like they're just it's fun characters and they're good miles miles morales is the best thing to happen to the spider-man franchise he's definitely a breath of fresh air he's Um, fucking amazing he's so cool i'm really hoping that we get I mean, we're going to get him eventually in the MCU. I really hope that we get um, Donald Glover as his uncle, Aaron. Because yeah. he was... He was ca- his fans, and not even his fans, just Spider-Man fans, yeah, were campaigning to have him as Miles Morales like dur- before Andrew Garfield yeah, won. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when he didn't get it, people were like, this sucks. But then they made him um, their character in... Um, yeah, he's the criminal in the car park, isn't he? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but what if they do a Miles Morales thing, then he can know, he's not only the uncle, but he's also a character, the prowler. Yeah. So he'll be the villain as yeah. well. I and think... He'd be amazing at he's it. He's amazing. He's actually got a film coming out, and I can't remember what it was. It's, it's a really dumb-sounding villain name, and I can't remember. Well, the community film's coming out, Ryan. Are you excited for it? I mean, I've watched the six seasons, so I'm ready for I'm the movie. I'm so excited. For, I've Yeah, I watched them. I re-watched them recently, and I fucking love community. It's so good. It's a very well-written show. I'm just trying to find Donald Glover and the... I think it's a Sony film okay. that he is making... Um, I want to watch Empire because he produced Empire, didn't he? Did he produce Empire? I think he was involved in Empire. I know. I saw um, Atlanta is one of the greatest television shows. Atlanta, of all time. Oh, sorry, Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. He he wrote, starred in, directed some of um, Atlanta. Like it's a it's amazing TV yeah, show. Yeah, that's what I meant. It. Not Empire. So Don Glove is set to star in a Sony film um, as a villain called Hypno Hustler. <laughs> not been typecast there at all has he i think he picked it i think he generally <laughs> I, I don't think it's just that he i don't think it's just that he was cast i think they've literally given him the project to do whatever he wants with right okay so he's he's starring in it but i'm pretty sure he's got a lot of creative control in it as well that's pretty so right. this is he's i'm showing a picture oh, of the wow he looks great yeah such a handsome dude isn't he yeah so back to the proper the actual main story of the comic the meat yes the meat of the comic because it's it, it's got so much contextual stuff with the larger copyright world so that's yeah. the one interesting aspect and to be fair i think we're going to talk less about the actual story because it's not as much to talk about with a family drama especially one that's well written because you can't really critique as much either. there's so few issues in as well i don't think we've seen a lot i think one of the things that interests me most about the story is the way it deals with addiction yes and that comes out of nowhere because i yeah. if you read issue one i would not have thought that would have been a topic and then it right at the end of the second issue i think initially i felt that the main source of 
drama coming from miles was going to be his relationship breaking down yes yeah exactly but yeah you're right that his addiction comes out of nowhere and he has a gambling addiction which i think is often the least how to put it i think gambling addiction is viewed more favorably than any kind of chemical addiction or sex addiction i think that's like a a cultural thing it's viewed more favorably, but taken less seriously. Yes, exactly. And yeah. it's, as, it's as damaging. Yeah, I mean, financially, financial um, harm is one of the worst things you can inflict upon yourself because yeah. you, that's the one the world, like, there's doctors that treat your medicine, but like what, like an accountant? Like, that's, yeah. if, you, if you waste all your money away and you have through an addiction, that's gone. You can't yeah. help it. Like, it's, I'm, I'm really butchering a way of saying that financial disparity is one at least talked about um, negative aspects of the world if that makes and sense. miles has really put himself in a hole he's 60 grand in a hole and i think what's interesting is he got himself in debt as a student with some shady looking people mm. and he's gotten himself back in debt with the same people yeah that's very telling on the one hand it's it's telling of the cyclical nature of addiction and how you just mm. fall back into the same practices on the other hand those characters those loan shark characters are quite funny they are now, funny, aren't they? And again, Chip just writes even the smallest characters. He just writes them quite funny. Um, there's one bit where, again, spoilers for the entire story that we're getting into, the loan sharks uh, approach him, corner him, and because they know his dad's going to come into a bit of money because of the whole copyright issue ongoing, he's going to get a lump sum. Yeah. And they know about this. So they like, take us to your dad so he can give us money or we'll break your legs or and we'll break your dad's legs. He takes him to his brother. Yeah. And then the brother, Paul, he's like, I'm a pacifist. And they punch him in the face. He's like, well, I'm, uh, his, it's, it's a bit of a joke. It's like, I'm a pacifist, like I'm a vegan, uh, up until a point. Yeah, up until a pecan pie comes out. Exactly. <laughs> and then he pulls out the gun and yeah. the loan shark people are like, dude, we don't mess with guns. Like, those are horrible. So many people get killed every year from guns. It's like, you're bloody violent loan sharks and in you're scared America of guns. In well. America of all places. You should be packing. Exactly. And he, he has like a little Batman theme. Like, yeah. my parents were killed by guns. I don't, I don't <laughs> use guns when I'm being a loan shark. Like, the moral high ground. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. And the fact it was a tattoo machine and not a gun. Yes, exactly. Um, there's a lot of thematic things with the the um, the jobs of the, the sons. Yeah. So the the main what we think is a main character Miles is a writer, yeah. but he ex like it's there's been a whole thing about his relationship with his dad. And his dad's like, hey, you could write comics, and he's like, no, comics are lowbrow. I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a novelist and whatever. Ends up being a uh, he specifically he's a lifestyle journalist, isn't a, he? a listicle writer. Yeah. <laughs> lifestyle journalist is what he would prefer to call himself. Yeah. They're like you write lists, right? And his brother's tattoo artist exactly so he's the artist and his brother's the writer and it's but they're so deviated from the original comic book thing and then what we come back to in issue five is the the reveal is that the dad actually owns the rights to the character yeah. and he gets he wins the rights to the comic books only so the main dc marvel singularity or whatever that singular. singular yeah they they can still make the films and the merchandise and the games and everything else, but he can make his own comics and they, they will allow it. But yeah, but they're still allowed to make the comics. And yes. That's what's interesting. So they're going to make competing comics. But then what happens is the, the son, Miles, who, uh, and well, both sons have lost their jobs. He's like, well, they just fall into like this. Well, the dad's going to make comics now. You're a writer. You're an artist. Let's just start making Let's it. Let's get on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the ancient character, 
So the the pinpoint of the story, the crux of the story, is when the assistant to the original writer, so yep. not the creator artist, who is Jerry. The, who is the main character's dad, this guy Jerry, he his assistant uh, finds this contract. She's yeah. a fan of the the dad and the his uh, the original artist, so she sends over this contract like, yeah. "Hey, you're the original." Yeah. So that's the crux of the story. He then finds out that this the uh, original artist. Oh, I should, I'm going to bring up his name because I keep mentioning Jerry. him. Uh, no, no, the other one. So Sid. Sid. Sid is the original artist creator. Yeah. So when he finds out Sid's making his, he's like, well, I'm going to start making mine again. Yeah. And immediately everyone's like. Ugh, like everyone at the company's like, oh god, he's back. Turns <laughs> up, takes over an editorial office, is going through their archives, pissing everybody yeah. off. And specific joke of like, what do you want me to? You want me to fuck the 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 documents? Like, fax. I want you to fax the documents <laughs> to the artist. Like, I think what's really interesting is that they've made him look a bit like Stanley. A little bit, yeah. And Haven't I think that's, they? that's, that's a bit of a man, reference. A graying man with a mustache. A little bit, yeah. Although he's a bit more balding than Stanley, which yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a. Uh, it might be a, a little easter egg might be a bigger reference you know that's like what we were getting out before about death of the author and all that but there's a lot of the character development oh like there's this web of like the characters being connected all these ways now they bring back together but the the actual characters themselves i think the mum is is such a well-written character but she is there mainly serving the male characters yeah she is but she's really rounded in that role it's like the best, uh, the most three-dimensional character could be with that because her thing is she gives this speech, essentially, to the dad, Sid, yeah. about him fighting for his creations, starting off talking about his comic creations, but also then referencing his own children as well. Who he neglected. Exactly, because he was creating this thing, and now he doesn't even care about this thing. So if you were the child who's been neglected, and then the thing your dad neglected you for, he's not even bothered about that anymore that's the ultimate insult which is yeah which explains a lot of the son's behavior and there's that there's that moment where miles and his brother sit down and miles shows him the book that they were both in and they talk about how cool it was that their dad did that mm. and there's this kind of you know they i think about this a lot where there are certain people who come from second generation creative families where you will be a creative person and you'll make a creative thing but then because you are, exist in the creative world, your children are more likely to be creatives. And that's what they are. They were raised with the knowledge that you could write or draw for a living. Whereas somebody whose you know, parents had very run-of-the-mill working-class jobs is a little bit less likely to be able to do that because they're trapped in that cycle of live to, live to work, essentially. Yeah. And so you're watching these two ostensibly quite creative people i mean we see his brother's tattoo that he did yes which is a sick tattoo like it's a great tattoo and he gets fired for it and his issue is he doesn't like he gets fired because he doesn't want to make the tattoos that people want and request he's like no i can make it better and then obviously gets fired it's yeah. a great joke where after he gets fired he's mid tattoo and the woman he's tattooing on says like is anyone going to finish this tattoo? And the stencil is a Chinese yeah, symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what he's actually does is... Um, Written uh, white woman. White woman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again, great joke. Chip Zdarsky, probably the, maybe the funniest comic book writer that I've come across. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Like the, the, whole, the whole five issues, I chuckled at them. Mm. I bought the characters. Mm. I bought into them as real people and that's, very promptly. That's what gets over the line when mm. the actual the the main topic is as we said earlier not boring but definitely a, a bit of a drier topic like yeah. it, it's not superheroes it's not criminality or violence it's not uh 
partying or teenage stories or whatever. It's literally like a legal dispute over the rights to a character. And it's not just a dry topic. It's quite a depressing topic because it forces you to think about corporate greed. Yes. Which I don't want to think about too much. But then they are kind of the antagonist of the story. So when you get these little victories, like I thought it was a great twist when the dad not only just gets this small lump sum to cover the son's gambling um, uh, debts, but he gets the comic book rights and everyone's everyone either expect i think comic books and storytelling especially these days is so binary all or nothing yeah it's either you win the day or you lose and then win the day later there's gray area here isn't there? there's gray and the fact that he wins the comic and that's such a twist because you're like wait what was that an option like what does that mean yeah. and then when it's explained to you you're like okay that's interesting because i didn't see that coming and it exposes individual fragility against corporations because they're viewing this $60,000 that they've given him as a pittance. Whereas that is ruinous for Miles. Yeah. On an individual basis, $60,000 worth of debt is to, is going to define the rest of your life. Whereas for them, $60,000 is a silly little bargaining chip they use to make somebody go away. Yep. And uh, what I thought was great character writing as well was how Miles, he didn't like that his dad had to accept that amount for yeah. him. Because he f- made him feel like more of a failure that not only did his dad had to bail him out again, like he did in college yeah. for five grand, but but also because then that he the dad had to settle quicker. Mm. He couldn't fight for more because he the Miles needed the money as soon as possible or he gets legs broken. And that really tapped into some guilt that I still feel from messing things up as a kid or a like, you know, a student or in my early twenties where I fucked things up and my parents had to bail me out. Yeah. And it really tapped into the guilt that I felt then and the guilt I kind of still feel now for like, oh, my dad had to fix that for me and mm. he had his own shit going on and, you know, he didn't need to deal with that, but he did because I'm his son. And it's 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 even worse because when you're a teenager, you don't even think about that as much. You kind of, you, mm. you, you reflect later on in life. Miles is mid-30s and in that situation. So he feels even worse that his elderly dad has had to sacrifice for him yeah. again. Um, I thought the line, especially about when his brother finds out he's gambling again he miles says i didn't even write it down i've only just remembered it now but he specifically says i thought i could control it yeah i thought i'm because i'm older and wiser i could do it without being addicted again and his brother was so sweet he was like nah it's an addiction man you're cool yeah and i tell you what the the brothers the sibling dynamic i thought it, it led you one way and then completely flipped it so what I mean by is that Miles is like the, you think the straight man character, kind of like yeah. a Jason Bateman type Arrested yeah. Development. And then he turns out to be the big fuck up. Mm. And his brother, who you think is the Arrested Development, like for the actual term, not the TV show, but the the one who never got his shit together yeah. and is still a tattoo artist and he gets fired again in a, and doesn't really care. But then you realize, yeah, his life's a bit of a mess. But he's very grounded and he's very laissez-faire and he's and just very nice and comforting. Yeah. Like he's a good bloke. He's a bloke you'd want to hang around with. Yeah. He lies to his parents a lot, but the parents are like, we know you lie. Like, we know you're busy. But he, he lies to kind of so that he's able to get on with his own life a little bit, doesn't he? Yes. Um, but I like him a lot. <laughs> but I, and I expected him to be the fuck up that people yeah. needed, that everyone else would need to help out. So Chip, I think, was very very specific in this rug pull and it wasn't even a big rug pull it was a slow it made you think one way in the first issue 
And by like the third issue, like, oh no, the main character's the fuck up and the, the brother's the decent one. What he did is use two very well-worn tropes. The trope of the struggling salaryman and the trope of the kind of free spirit fuck up, but then introduce nuance into their character, flesh them out. Yeah. And so he's doing a thing that comic book writers do a lot, which is rely on trope. Mm. But then actually subverting our expectations of those tropes and fleshing them out and giving them more believable characters and more nuanced characters, which then makes them more believable and more interesting to read. Yep. And I think those tropes are what hook you in initially. Yeah. And even if the tropes were just done well, I think most people would be like, yeah, it's still a good title. But when what he's done specifically here and what the best writers do is what makes you go, oh, no, this is amazing. Like, this is really interesting. And I, I have no idea what's going to happen next. And I'm involved because I, the, the tropes hooked me in issue one. Yeah. And now issue five, I have no idea what's going to happen. All my preconceived notions are out of the window. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Weird, because I often find it a bit hacky when fiction's too tropic. But I love the subversion of a well-worn trope. I think if the tropes are used well instead of relied on as the main story that's the difference because we said this in ice cream man yeah. that they use tropes to get to story quicker because they only had an issue at a yeah. time to tell a story and whereas here chips used chips used trope to be like here's the story that we're starting off with you know how it goes psych no it doesn't it's going the other way but he's also using a couple of other tropes to great effect like um i'm seeing some of the heist movie tropes here where yeah. they're like they're pulling a team together and then they go to what they think is going to be an abandoned office and the comic book nerd who actually has a lot of money has kitted out for them and made it beautiful yeah there was a little bit of deus ex machina there a bit a little bit yeah but also it's not like it it didn't really save the story it just it it, it kind of invigorated the characters to the to um i don't have words here it more just invigorated the characters to pursue the goal with more gusto and a bit more yeah. ambition because they were expecting the worn shitty office. And I think if they had have got that, it would have just been like, yep, it's what we thought we are, but here we are. So we're going to get on with it. Whereas they got, it was, is it a deus ex machina if it doesn't save the day? Yeah. But it's just given them a bit of like a, oh, this nice thing's happened. And there was this really lovely moment right at the end of the fifth issue where... Uh, Sid had done a sketch mm. and Miles was kind of looking at it going, oh, it's going to be a bit rusty. But then his son did the inks for him and the inks looked great. And it's like, oh, we're now starting to see, because I think something else that I got from the story was actually quite a knowing take on comic books and something that I've observed, but not really talked about here is that old comic books are kind of crap. Yes, they are, they are of their time. Yeah. And so... We, when we see Sid and Jerry both making their re-entry into the, that world, there's a lot of concern from everyone around them that anything they produce is going to be really dated. And so actually there's this really nice moment where we start to see, you know, a tattoo artist's, a modern, because modern tattooing is a whole different world. Yeah. A modern tattoo artist's relationship with their inks and their lines seeping into comic books right yeah and that's fucking cool that's really fucking cool and also the other way around i think in real life and the other way around as well because you've got you've had obviously tattoos of comic book characters and yeah. that's been in that design so there's loads like batman spider-man superman tattoos and they are lifted directly off the page yeah to and they have to obviously be that updated bond style as well yeah do you think has that influence other tattoos the non-comic book and non-superhero i think ta like tattooing is um 
having a having a renaissance culturally there's this acceptance to tattooing and tattoo tattoo artists now well that's been the kind of a past like 10 20 years or so hasn't it? yeah absolutely i'm i for anyone for listeners i'm covered in tattoos um, we'll have to um, do a tattoo podcast but it's just we take a camera all over your body it's yeah like, is this one i'm is quite heavily one? tattooed aren't i um you have you have an old school tattoo don't you i've got a tattoo and i'm gonna keep it a mystery on the podcast as to what it is so maybe oh. like episode 100 i'll reveal the tattoo. episode tattoo reveal yeah I'm something there like for that. it maybe we'll forget by then who knows <laughs> but if you want to uh coming to the close of the podcast if you want to write in and guess what tattoo i have then by all means Fuck yeah and if you what 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 we'll do is in the notes we will put two bodies like blank images of bodies and you can in photoshop draw over what you think we've both got tattooed and the best one the best one of me and the best one of ryan will go into the show notes for the episode after we do it i like your ambition i don't think we can do that in show notes i think show notes is literally like html text I don't think we can attach We'll make documents. it happen. We will make it happen. We will get to a point where we have a <laughs> website and we'll do a we'll do a write-in submission contest where you draw our tattoos on us as as plain stick figure bodies, but but what's not stick figure but like but like Michelin men, but you know, blank and white and everything. You're trying to say I'm not that fat. I mean you are made of tires, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it out loud, but <laughs> I don't know how you get tattoos on, on the <laughs> rubber, but he does. So uh, take us, do you want to take us home? Yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Um, if you'd like to find more of Ryan at some point in the future, he's going to make a YouTube channel called Comic Stands. One day, one day. One day it's going to happen. I'm available um, on various street corners. I also have a YouTube channel called Myths of Sad Grown Ups. And a TikTok profile called Byronic Monkeys, which I'm enjoying posting on at the moment. I'm really interested if once the podcast episodes actually get released, because they still haven't been released yet. But once they do get released, if you see an uptick in views on like TikTok and such. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening with us. And if you want to write in, do you, wanna, do you remember the, the email address? comicliteratepodcast at gmail.com no podcast so just comicliterate at gmail.com comicliterate at gmail.com I'm gonna, you can I'll, write to us I'll print out we'll print once we get all the socials so once we yeah. get the twitter and the tiktok and everything I'll print you out like a, a laminate and, and that'll we'll, be we'll, we'll have a link tree that'll yes. go underneath yes for every show note yeah. yeah got some basic show notes for the unlisted youtube videos Amazing. so but we we'll, I'll have to add everything to that as well but yes so yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for spending your time with us again and our crazy rantings about AI and uh, uh, corporations and, and copyrights. <laughs> I'm summing these up because when I do the show notes, I have to yeah. do like a blurb for the episode. Mm. And I find myself being like, oh yeah, I suppose we talked about this and we talked about this. And, you know, so now I'm like recording it now for me. So that when I finish editing this episode, <laughs> I'll know what to write for the show. So let notes. me redo the outro. We'll cut that outro out and I'll draw. Nah, we'll, leave, we'll leave it. We'll do both. We'll no, do no, both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so thanks very much for listening. Oh, really? If you want to find Ryan, you can look him up as comic stands on YouTube at some day, some time, some point in the near, in the hopefully not too so distant future. If you'd like to find me, I'm miss for sad grownups on YouTube. I'm also Byronic monkeys on, um, TikTok. Fucking TikTok. That's the one. Thanks very much and good and night. And the email address. <laughs> it's, it's, comic liter- it's comicliterate at gmail.com. There we go. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.